Welcome back to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome. I'm Liz. I'm the Duchess. I'm Chad. I'm the Duke. And in this episode, we will be covering the trade paperback number one of the graphic novel, or comic series rather, Saga by Brian K. Vaughn. That's right. We are really excited to be covering this comic. We've talked about it a lot. It's one of our favorite new series out there. And we're really excited to get into it. A little bit about our spoiler policy. I have read this series. Chad has not. Chad has only read through volume one. So we are not going to spoil anything past volume one of Saga because we like to hear Chad's predictions at the end. So how did you come across this series? Do you remember? I remember having it recommended to me. Obviously, we had both read Why the Last Man by Brian K. Vaughn and absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite series ever. And I think we just, I think you got it for me for Christmas or Mother's Day one year, but we both wanted to read it for a while and it just absolutely blew me away. Yeah, and you ended up reading it. Yeah, and I didn't. I think it was also this sort of coincided or at least when we found it coincided with when we were kind of wrapping up fables. Yes. I was, I was mourning the end of fables a little bit, or at least having read all that I had to read for fables. Yeah. 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 This really scratched that itch, you know? Yeah. It came in right in. Same kind of twisted fairy tale vibe, but on a really interesting new world. Yeah. I was surprised when I was, just looking up some things about it, that this actually came out in 2012. I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah, I feel like I've been reading it because uh, I was definitely, I was breastfeeding one of our kids. Let's oh, say okay. that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it on the cover of this is a is a hot chick with wings and she's breastfeeding. And I was, I remember being like, yes, <laughs> breastfeeding mamas have made the cover. Yeah, there you go. Of the comics. It's on. I, w- I remember being really happy. Good. Okay. Yeah, I was a little surprised it was that uh, it had been around that long. I hadn't quite realized that. So Brian K. Vaughn is the author, as we said, illustrator, Fiona Staples. And I have to say, I think, I think she might be my favorite illustrator. I think the art in this comic might be my favorite. It really is stunning. Stunningly done. I mean, there's a lot of really amazing comic artists out there, and I'm sure there's, you know, people who are really into comics who are, who are hearing that and going, what? That's absurd. But in my, you know, from my opinion, at least uh, for this style of comic, I think it's really, really phenomenal. So are you ready to get into it proper? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Fantastic. So chapter one. Alana and Marco are deserters from opposing armies of a galactic war. While hiding on the planet Cleave, Alana gives birth to their daughter. But the new family is soon hunted by agents from both armies seeking to destroy them. They narrowly escape, finding a map they believe that they may have found a way off the planet. After killing a blue blood robot from Landfall, the Lanfalian royalty send Prince Robot 4 to destroy the couple. The contingent from Wreath 
contract several freelancers to kill the couple, including the will. So overall, in one sentence, what was your impression once you actually got into this book? It's really cool. I re- like I said, I really like the artwork. I like how we're starting like really in a very tense situation right from the beginning. The other thing I realized when we got to the end of this is that I thought I had read this whole first trade paperback, but apparently I haven't. I had only read the first chapter. Now, obviously, I read it now for the podcast, but I realized once I started getting into it, wait, wait a minute, I hadn't read nearly as much of this as I thought I had. So I really was starting out from scratch, but I really enjoy it so far. Yeah, I had the same experience. This drew me in right away. You know, we open on a scene of Alana giving childbirth, and then before they've even picked a name, pretty much as soon as the baby's born, they are immediately attacked and are in the middle of a firefight. So it is a really intense beginning here, and the action doesn't really stop. No, and I think you're presented with some really interesting imagery straight off the bat. You have Alana, as we said, giving birth, but she also has wings and like insect wings. And her boyfriend, husband, father of the baby has horns and ears like like a fawn. So you have that sort of imagery right from the beginning. The baby's born. She's got little tiny nubbins for horns. And you're like, okay, this is some cute sort of like fairy tale characters, but in a modern world. But then as soon as the soldiers show up, you have um, Baron Robot the 23rd, who is dressed like a 19th century British sailor, but he has a... TV for a head, you know? (laughs) And I I like how you're plopped right into the middle of this action. It's not really explained to you who the sides on this conflict are until you're through this first battle. Correct. And I think that's pretty cool. So you've got, you know, Alana giving birth. She's, they're attacked by the blue blood, the robot, and the winged soldiers, and then boom, right down in the middle come these horned soldiers, but they're speaking a different language. So you don't know what's going on at all until after the fight is done. And then through it all, you've got this narrator who we know is the, is the baby. Yeah. And once you're through the action, she kind of explains to you that, okay, you've got this planet called... What, landfall? Yeah, you've got this planet called Landfall, and it's Moon Wreath, and they're at war, and they've kind of expanded out into the galaxy. And that's really a major theme that you see throughout this whole series is the ravages of war. Is war ever justified? That kind of thing. And then you've got like naked robot sex. I mean, lots of naked people or you, naked robots. You, you pu- we pulled this book out again to reread it and for you to read it. And I was like, just FYI, honey, this is not a book we leave downstairs. Yeah. Where right. Kids can find Mm-mm, it. New. Definitely not uh, PG 13. No, I also, I mean, we talked about the idea of the forces from Wreath showing up. Man, those cats seem like they are stepping straight out of a heavy metal music video. Walking Mm -hmm. through fire, horns, giant beards, (laughs) swords, and huge axes. 
And I'm like, I'm rooting for those guys. <laughs> so you were Team Wreath. I was Team Wreath all the way. Other guys seem like real assholes <laughs> with their stupid TV heads. So it's cool because we do have the sort of technology versus magic. Yeah, uh, you know correct. the wreath are magic users. The Landphalans have technology. They use guns, mm-hmm. and obviously they can freaking fly. But it seems that the war is pretty much at a stalemate. Correct, and they're fighting these wars in like proxy wars that they fight on other planets. They don't want to wreck their own homeland. They can't destroy each other because they're in orbit of each other. If one of them destroys the planet or the moon, it'll affect the other. So it's all this sort of, you know, reminiscent of a Cold War fighting proxy wars on other planets sort of vibe. So there's a couple things that I noted in this chapter that I thought were interesting. The first is that all the creatures that you see, with the exception of one, are variations of things that we already know as humans. So it's not like, for instance, in Star Wars, like where, you know, you go to the cantina in Star Wars and there's all these creatures and weird things you've never seen before. Everything you encounter, for the most part, is something you know of. They're either griffins or they're, you know, people with angel's wings. The butler for Prince Robot is a talking alligator. Uh, So it seems like all these sort of characters from fairy tales kind of deposited into this sci-fi sort of world. So I'm not quite sure what that means, but it I I just thought it was an interesting choice that they did not they chose deliberately to use recognizable characters as opposed to creating and designing like new aliens that we hadn't seen before. So that was the first thing that I noticed. Second thing that I noticed is man these robots like to fuck. Yeah. But as a part of that, it's not really that. It goes a little further than that. So the whole scene with the robots, you know, they're they're doing it. You know, she's like, give it to me, big boy. He's like, oh, I'm so traumatized from having come just come back from war. And then he finds out he has to go to this planet Cleave and he's all crestfallen about it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Are these robots or not? Like these robots clearly have emotions like well they're obviously some sort of human robot hybrid okay yeah, it they looks have like it, yeah. human bodies they have robot heads uh and this is not just any robot this is a prince it's prince robot number four prince robot the fourth yeah and he's there he, there with his fiance um as you said having trouble reconsummating their relationship when they're interrupted by a special agent gail who sends him off on another mission and he he gives us a little bit of background on Elena and Marco. Yeah. And we find out that Marco was on a detention facility on Cleve when and was being guarded by Elena and that they both disappeared and they suspect that they went off and illegally got married. And there's this huge taboo against that. You know, the Prince Robot, it, he's not either of their species and he's repulsed by it. The yeah. idea of, of these two species mixing. Yeah, and you see that uh, several times throughout this and in a couple, the next couple chapters as well. There's even a mention in the very first conflict when the Lanfalian soldiers come in and Marco starts to speak. The soldiers go, or one of them says, that Mooney knows how to talk? Right. Like, 
the propaganda is so thick amongst these people that they can't even conceive that they're more more alike than they are different. I mean, the differences that you can tell between Alana and Marco are superficial. One has wings, the other has horns. True. So it's interesting to see what looks like to us a nice little family. Yeah. But to the characters in this story is something that's like a crime against nature. I like, too, how there are these little scenes with Alana and Marco where they're obviously in this very intense, crazy situation. They're running from both of their respective governments Mm -hmm. and they're like down in this tunnel or whatever. And and Alana um, pulls out a gun that she has taken. You know, and and Marco's like, do you have any idea what the statistics are for parents who keep one of those in the house? You know, (laughs) so they're having this like some of these sort of normal little new parent squabbles and they can't decide on her name and stuff like that going in and out of that. And then this very intense situation while they're trying to run from eminent death. And you just you like this couple right away. They are likable now about the gun. So I noticed something interesting. I don't know if it means anything. But I suspect that it it does. So in the background, you have Hazel's voice. And it's right before the scene you're talking about. And she says, only one man ever broke my heart. And then that's the end of her little line right there. Mm-hmm. In the next scene, they're in the tunnel. They're talking about the gun. And she calls the gun a heartbreaker. It's like four panels away mm-hmm. from that line. And I just feel like, and we hadn't heard that name prior to that. So it's just interesting to me the juxtaposition there mm-hmm. of, you know, only one man ever broke her heart. And then the next thing we see is something called a heartbreaker. Mm-hmm. Don't really know what it means. Just something to put a pin in. So let's talk about the freelancers. Let's. So the freelancers, you mentioned in your summary, but the freelancers are these elite assassins. And we meet one named The Will, and he's his companion, The Lion Cat, uh, which is like two of the best characters in fiction, in my opinion. So The Will is like just this bald-headed Jason Statham-looking, yeah, uh, chain-smoking dude with a cape, you know? And his companion is Lion Cat. And Lion Cat only says one word. Yeah. <laughs> lying. But she says that she can tell when people are lying. Yeah. So that's kind of awesome. So The Will... We see him um, meeting with someone obviously very important on the Wreath High Council, and she is sending him after Elena and Marco. So now we kind of are seeing the players who are after this little family. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. They both, so both the uh, folks from Landfall, Prince Robot and Special Agent Gale, I wonder if Gale has any reference to Dorothy Gale from... Wizard of the Oz. I wonder if that's a deliberate I don't know. thing or not. Okay. So we have Prince Robot and his folks from Landfall. And the folks from Wreath, uh, Vez is the lady who hired the Will. Mm-hmm. And they both want the couple dead for basically the same reasons. That it's a huge PR nightmare. And that's really why they want them dead. Right. Well, and Vez says... That the tablets of prophecy have just revealed that Marco will soon be responsible for the deaths of millions of innocent souls. And Lion Cat says, Lying. Lying. 
So yeah, they want they want to spin it like they're doing this for the greater good. Exactly. But yeah. really, it's about hey, we've pulled the entire galaxy into our war on the basis of the idea that our races are completely incompatible. One cannot survive while the other one lives, yeah, yeah. and now we have two that have copulated. Like that can't be good. I don't think either of them are good, but Prince Robot and their contingent want them all dead, including the baby. The folks from Wreath want to protect the baby. They want to kill the parents, but the conditions for the will are that he bring the baby back unharmed. Yeah, so slightly better guys. Bad guys, slightly less bad guys. Correct, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So Lana and Marco make their way to something called the rocket ship forest, or they're on their way to that. Correct. Yeah. And they're they're heading through a woods, and Marco says that we shouldn't be traveling at night. This is when the horrors come out. That's right. And on the last page of this issue, we see them sharing a kiss with all these red eyes showing up in the background. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the lines... Are So the line that sort of accompanies it from Hazel in the background, she says, but thanks to these two, at least, I get to grow old. Not everyone does. And then you see them kissing with the eyes in the background. And if you're reading this episode by episode, comic by comic, I'm sure you're like, right, trying to tell me those two aren't going to make it very far. (laughs) But that is the end of chapter one. All right, chapter two. In chapter two, after deserting their galactic armies, former soldiers Marco and Alana must now protect their newborn girl from the lethal killers dispatched to destroy their family. The Will finds that he is not the only agent sent to hunt the couple. Also dispatched is the Stalk. The Stalk is already on Cleave and finds the couple nearly killing them before she is chased off by the horrors. Marco is severely injured. Prince Robot 4 arrives on Cleave and asks around for clues. He is alarmed to find that Alana was fond of reading romance novels. We are introduced, finally, to the horrors. So how creepy is the stalk? Stalk is super creepy. The stalk looks like... Hmm. The stalk looks like the voice of Sauron meets Playboy Bunny. Meet Shalob. Right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So she's a giant armless spider. Great set of tits. But usually when I say that, (laughs) it's not literally true. (laughs) So that's a very tense situation when they're facing off with the stock. Before we get there, one of my favorite quotes in this book is in the beginning here. And it's Hazel talking. And she's saying... If there's an opposite of a honeymoon, it's the week after a couple's first child is born. And I was like, dag, yo. Tell me about that's it. That's some real talk right, right there. It says no matter how hard they try, no matter how pure their intentions, everything will go wrong. Yeah, and it will. Do you remember trying to put our oldest into the car seat for her two-week checkup? I, I do. And I remember both of us just standing there crying half- Half half of her body in, half of her body out, and I'm pretty sure we were covered in shit. I've put a kid in a car seat before, but 45 minutes later, we could not get it. That we child ended up being like into that car seat. 30 minutes late for the 
for the appointment. We didn't bring any diapers. The <laughs> doctor right. had to give us diapers so we could leave. It was a mess. That's right. Total mess. So I felt this. I felt mm-hmm. this chapter. I can't imagine being chased by magic-wielding horned people yeah. while going through all of that. Let alone a spider playboy bunny assassin. So we also learn a little bit more about Marco apparently has taken some sort of oath not to draw his sword. Mm-hmm. We like to infer that he's maybe was some sort of badass warrior, but we don't know at this point. At one point, they're trapped by some vines and she's like, just draw your sword. And he's like, I can't. I took an oath. And he ends up casting a spell or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Elena has no such compunction about no. using a weapon. And in fact, when the stalk wounds Marco and it looks like she's going to be taken, she charges up her gun and puts it at her daughter's head and threatens to kill the baby. Because what the stalk tells her that she shouldn't have is that, hey, don't worry, I'm going to kill both of you, but for whatever reason, my masters want your your ugly pup mm-hmm. to survive, which Elena quickly deduces that she can survive by threatening to kill the baby. And so the stalk, though, is chased off by the horrors. Absolutely. Now, there was something I wanted to talk about about that section before we go on and kind of talk about who the horrors are. So when they're all caught up in the tangle vines and Alana says, draw your sword, and he says, no, I'm going to cast a spell. He says, I need a secret. And, you know, she tells him some stupid secret. I'm not as tall as I tell everyone I am. And he's like, that's ridiculous. Then she's like, I like the taste of my own breast milk. (laughs) And then he casts the spell. Mm -hmm. So there's something that happens later. And I forget if it's in this chapter or the next one. I think it's in this chapter where he needs snow in order to perform a spell. But all the things that he needs to be able to cast these spells seem like very Feyen, fairy magic type things that we've traditionally heard of yes. as being fairy magic type things. So just a, a sense of kind of where their magic system might come from and maybe the first hint of who these people are. Well, and I think too, the fact that the the folks from Landfall speak, well, they call it language, but they their speech is all in English. And the folks from Wreath do not. Everything that we've seen someone from Wreath say has been in this other language. Yeah. And it is a very sort of fairy looking language, for lack of a better word. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like a Celtic German thing. But I think they're meant to be, yes, that gives them sort of an otherworldly feel. So then we finally get to meet the horrors. And the horrors are some sort of creature that's native to wreath that the stalk herself is terrified of she says that she she saw them rip a man's spine out of his body one time and she's so afraid that she runs off and leaves the family to be digested by them in hopes that it'll give her a better chance yep yeah so this hardened assassin is terrified of him we know marco is terrified of him and then when we get to meet at the very end of this chapter when we get to meet the horrors, we see what looks like the ghost of a bunch of children. And they say to her, we've been watching you and you look like you could use some help. 
And that's where the issue ends. Correct, yeah. So again, if you're reading this, you know, comic by comic, you're like, either the horrors are not as horrible as we have been led to believe, or there's a really sick punchline that's going to start out episode three. (laughs) So chapter three? Chapter three. All right. Chapter three, Alana and Marco find out that the horrors are not as horrible as they seem. Isabel the ghost offers to help Alana heal Marco and guides them to the rocket ship forest. Prince Robot 4 is chasing down leads and seems to have become obsessed with a particular book that Alana was reading. Marco, in his uh, stupor, says, tell Gwendolyn I love her. And we end the chapter with Alana saying, who the fuck is Gwendolyn? Oh, snap. (laughs) I only took a couple of notes here. Uh, The big one that I thought from a world-building standpoint is... Hazel wants to help them get off the planet. They want to leave the planet, but what Hazel wants in exchange is for them to take her with them. The only way they can take her as a ghost is if she bonds her soul to the baby. And then when Alana asks, when it gets to a desperation time, and Alana's like, fine, She asks, will it hurt her? And Isabel says, only the day it ends, which we don't really know what that means. We should also mention that Isabel is um, a ghost of half a girl. The upper half. The top half. Yeah. So she's kind of like gruesome looking and it's this weird juxtaposition because she's obviously just this kind of teenage girl sounding and she's literally a torso and head with like guts hanging out. It's pretty graphic. It's not the most frightening thing in this comic, but it's pretty, pretty gruesome. So then we move on to Prince Robot, who is on Wreath and he is questioning some different prisoners mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what happened between Elena and Marco. Yep. Um, he finds through questioning one of Elena's roommates that she was obsessed with these books uh, written by D. Oswald Heist, these sort of romance novels. And that's all he's able to find out about her. We also have two interesting moments with Prince Robot where something, an image appears on his television screen mm-hmm. head. And when it happens, the whoever he's talking to gets take, is taken aback and asks if he's all right. So you get the impression that that's something that signifies a loss of control. That that is not something that these robots are, usually their screens are kept blank. Yeah, and we, we only, to this point, have seen it one other time. And it was right before right when he was having sex with his fiancée, and it was a flashback to something he had seen in war, and then he had to stop. So I agree, it does seem like it's something that's not supposed to be. Correct. So we get some cute interactions, too, between the ghost, Isabel, and Elena, as they're so they're hiking up this mountain because mm-hmm. Marco needs snow to perform a healing spell on himself. He's been wounded by the stalk. And we find out that Isabel is the oldest of seven, so she knows all about babies and she's teaching Alana how to burp her. And so again, it's you have this juxtaposition of this intense fantasy sci-fi warfare mm-hmm. with uh, just 
kind of new family sitcom situations. And it's just the 15 year old telling the mom you're doing it wrong. Yeah, it's just um, it's hilarious. It's pretty funny. Yeah. So we also find out that the the will and the stock, they had a thing. Which is interesting. I I don't want to think about how that works anatomically. (laughs) Well, when the will is told that where there's a will. There's also a naked stalk. <laughs> Things go together. Um, they must go somewhere. There must be a way. <laughs> well, when the will is told, we see him talking to his agent, and he's told that the stalk has also been assigned this case, and he's like, forget it, I'm not going. I never want to see that asshole's face again. So mm-hmm. we get the impression that she dumped him. Yeah. He's still kind of heartbroken. And so let's talk about Gwendolyn. Yes. Who so, did you think she was at this point? Oh, well, so because it happens inside of this trade paperback and I could just turn the page, I didn't even bother to. Right. You know, if it had been from book to book, that would have been different. But in chapter four, we find out who Gwendolyn is. Are you ready to move on to chapter four? Yes. All right. Chapter four. The will arrives on Sextillion, a planet-sized brothel. A pimp attempts to set him up with a child prostitute. The will kills the pimp and attempts to flee the planet with the child. Alana and Marco discuss who the fuck Gwendolyn actually is and make up. But before long, a ship of Lanfalian soldiers arrives. So Sextillion is weird. Yeah. So we're greeted with these these ladies who are heads with legs coming out of the that's giant it. heads. And that's all they are. It was weird. Yeah, and it gets weirder from there. It does. Flying lesbians, which I guess if you had people, you know, Lanfalians, I guess you would have, you know, statistically, there's bound to be some flying lesbians. (laughs) And and poor Lion Cat gets sent back to the ship. Yes. Unhappily. Says, but there'll be plenty of animals on the planet for you to copulate with. This place is a little bit weird. It's a little weird. So the scene, I mean, let's call it out. The scene with the brothel and the little girl is absolutely horrifying. It's, yes, it's horrifying. It's horrendous. There's no other way to say it. You do feel a certain degree of satisfaction and you're rooting for the will because so far outside of Alana and Marco, he's the only one who's shown any sort of degree of humanity at this right. point. And he immediately turns around after he realizes the situation and just like that, immediately kills the pimp. And you're thinking he's going to get off the planet with this little girl and save this little girl. In the other storyline... We have Alana and Marco, and Marco sort of explains that Gwendolyn is an old fiancé, and they grew apart, and she wanted him to fight the good fight, but he wants to be a peacenik hippie, you know, and she wanted to eat cows, and he wanted to be a vegetarian, and she wanted to listen to country music, and he wanted to listen to jam bands, (laughs) you know, and they just grew apart, you know. Uh, But he did give Elena her wedding ring. Yes. Yeah. That's. (laughs) Faux pas. That's kind of a problem. Faux pas. 
the other thing is that not only did he give her his old fiance's wedding ring, I don't know how he got it off of her to give it, but whatever. The rings are also magical. Yes, they allow Lena and Marco to communicate, speak other languages, I think. Correct, yeah. And so we end this issue with not only the will killing one of the leaders of the brothel, we assume, and be needing to make a daring escape, but this Lanfalian ship locating Alana and Marco. Yeah. And Marco finally breaking, it looks like he has a chain on his sword. He had a chain shut because apparently he's a bit of a drama queen. He can't just make an <laughs> oath not to draw it, but he chains it shut. Okay. But yeah, which is apparently only a purely drama move because it, because he can clear, he snaps it off <laughs> as, as though it were barely even there. So his passion to protect his family gave him strength. It was only there so we could have that frame. <laughs> That's why it existed, just for that shot. So yeah, this ends on you know some pretty tense notes. As you say, we've got the Will grabbing up this child and running out of the brothel, having killed somebody of some degree of importance inside of there, and this ship descending upon the other the other couple. So our two storylines both have this exciting things that are going to happen in Chapter 5. Are you ready for chapter five? I'm ready. All right. So in chapter five, Alana and Marco fight their way out of the ambush from the Lanfalian soldiers and steal a transport. The Will is unable to escape Sextillion with the child. Prince Robot 4 finds out that his robot princess is pregnant, giving him even more reason to want to queef his way off this planet. I said it right that time. <laughs> It's funny because cleave sounds like queef. It does. It's hard. If you're us. <laughs> <laughs> so he finds out she's pregnant. He wants to get off the planet. He comes uh, to clean up the mess from the failed ambush. And it's there that he finds the stalk whom he promptly kills. Bum, bum, bum. She did not last long. Such a great character design and setup for somebody who did not make it very far. So I really enjoy the world building and the way that it's done in this series, because things are revealed to you piecemeal, but in a way that's very natural to the story. And you're given mysteries, but none that are like frustrating, you know? Yeah. So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the first scene, we have Prince Robot. He gets a, a call from his beloved, the princess. And he's, you can see, in the frame, he's kind of reading a book and they're going back and forth and they're talking. And then in one frame, you can see that he's sitting on a toilet reading. So you're like, oh, OK. So they have it just gives you a clue as to what anatomically is going on there. They obviously yeah, yeah. have sort of human bodies, robot heads. Mm -hmm. And then obviously they they reproduce much as humans do as well. So I just really like the way that things are revealed. And I love the the dynamic between Elena and Marco. You know, he's got this vow, no more killing. She's kind of like, eh, yeah. no promises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when it comes to her kid. You know, but once she gets wounded and she gets struck in the, in the shoulder, he just rages out. He hulks mm -hmm. out. And we find out, yeah, he's, he's a badass fighter. Like, of course he is. Only badass fighters have to chain, chain their sword shut. <laughs> Apparently the chain was not a terrible idea. And his, his killing spree, though, is actually ended by Alana, who shoots him with a stun gun. The heartbreaker. The heartbreaker. Yeah. It's the only way to snap him out. So, yeah, she shoots him, and he says, thank you. 
Yeah, he says, what would I do without you? Just to give you a sense of where his head is. So how sad is the scene with the Will trying to escape with Slave Girl? Yeah, that's terrible. So, so the problem is he gets confronted by the actual owner, not the pimp, but the, quote, actual owner of the little girl who says, you know, not only are you trying to leave with my property, but all the people who are slaves on Sextillion are injected with some sort of drug that if they leave Sextillion, it causes their arteries to harden and results in a painful death. And the price to pay for the girl is far more than the will has. So sad. It's horrible. Horrible. And oddly, it even gets kind of, it's even a little bit sad when the stalk gets shot. Yeah. Because she's humanized in this last scene in her conversation with the will. And him hearing her get killed humanizes her even more. Mm -hmm. So that's just some neat storytelling right there. So chapter six, in this chapter, Alana, Marco, and Isabel find the rocket tree forest, board a rocket tree, and escape the planet Cleave. The will vows to avenge the stalk's death. Prince Robot 4 seems to know where Marco and Alana are headed, and Alana and Marco get visitors on board the rocket tree, Marco's parents. So poor the will. It's it's so cool that how they are able to make these cold-blooded murderers so sympathetic. Yeah. In just a couple of pages. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the storytelling here is pretty remarkable. I mean, we're really quite in the very very beginning of this adventure, this saga, if you'll forgive the pun, and we really have a a good sense of who these characters are already. Right, and and so the will in his last conversation with the stalk was able to tell her that he was in love with her, and that's right before she got shot. And you know, a move like that I, in a lot of other stories would seem kind of cliche, but it just it just lands really nicely here. Yeah, and just the last scene where he is he just kind of slumps over on his bed with his head in his hands. You're just like, oh, I'm so sad that giant spider died. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he doesn't get he doesn't get to rescue the little girl, and then this person who he's clearly still pining over, he has an opportunity to have her back in his life, and then she's killed. So yeah, it's a pretty shitty day for the will. And how cool is the rocket ship tree? Rocket ship tree is pretty groovy. So this whole book, Alana and Marco have been heading toward rocket ship forest. Not sure what they're going to find there. Hoping a rocket ship. And what they find is a, is a rocket ship. That's a tree. And it can only blast off with a sacrifice. And so Marco sacrifices his sword mm -hmm. in a very grand and, and epic gesture that, again, could seem really cliche, but it doesn't. He breaks the sword over his knee and, and off they go. And you can tell the ship is just going to be a really cool new conceit here because yeah you know they go looking for the control room and isabel says you don't steer a rocket ship you ride it mm -hmm. it goes where it wants to go and so they decide where they want to go if it's and they tell the ship if it's not too much trouble they'd like to go to quietus to meet the smartest person in the universe that's right and then in the next frame we see prince robot four reading the about the author page from the novel 
that he found in from Alana's roommate, and it is D. Oswald Heist who lives on Quietus, leading us to believe that he knows where they're going, and that's where they're going is to see that author. Now, it's interesting. It's a romance novel. She calls him the smartest man in the world. I mean, I'm sure that Danielle Steele is an intelligent gal, but I don't think we'd put her up there with Einstein. So is there more to this novel than meets the eye? I mean, that's what we're guessing. It's certainly been introduced enough times. Seems to be. Prince Robot 4, at one point, he gets interrupted, but he says, I have this fascinating book, and I think it's when the princess tells him she's pregnant. She says, it's a subversive look at, and then that it was, it might have been Secret Agent Gale, I forget who, but somebody interrupts him, mm-hmm. and we don't get to find out what it's a subversive look at. Mm-hmm. So there's something going on in that book. And then the ending scene, the kind of culminating scene here, is brought on because Marco destroys the sword. And so it's this magical historical family artifact. And in destroying it, his parents from Wreath are able to detect this, I guess, release of magic or whatever and follow it to the hilt, which is where Marco has. So they pop up on the ship in a fireball and just start blasting lasers at people, not realizing that it's Alana, Marco, and Isabel on the ship. Isabel gets zapped, and we because we, we know she's a ghost, but we don't know what how she's going to interact with magic, so we are left with this cliffhanger of, is she dead or is she just going to pop back the next day? We don't we don't know. And then these psychos who pop up on the ship, we uh, realize fairly quickly, are Hazel's grandparents. And Grandma does not look happy. No, she doesn't. <laughs> she does not approve she does i don't think she likes the new daughter-in-law i don't think she does so the narration for hazel through this last scene is so yeah this is where i grew up referring to the rocket ship Mm -hmm. most of my childhood was spent clinging to the feathers of a dulled arrow blindly fired across a starless night it was heaven for a while anyway and then my grandparents came to live with us yeah Well, uh, I mean, she was only on that ship for like a few hours before her grandparents came up. But I just, I love in this book, the poetic turns of phrase that are sprinkled throughout. And like we said, the sort of wacky sitcom-y new family antics, Mm -hmm. all set against this backdrop of epic sci-fi fantasy battle. It's just just a glorious mixture. It's like... This is like this is like the fluffernutter sandwich of comic <laughs> series, you know? Like who would have thought that they would be good together, but then boom, there you have it. Oh, they sound amazing. I want a fluffernutter right now. <laughs> so one of the things that I like about it from a device standpoint is I like the contrast of sort of like Hazel's through line all throughout this combined with kind of what we see happening on the page. It's sort of like a second line in a song where, you know, you have the chorus going on and then there's somebody, you know, singing a kind of a contrasting or, you know, value adding sort of, you know, part on top of it. So, yeah. And it gives you 
the knowledge that Hazel's going to survive. Correct. In some way at some point. But you don't know about everyone else. So it just adds this really interesting tension to the story. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So you ready for predictions? Yes. Predict. All right. Go ahead. Your predictions. Go ahead. Go ahead. I've read it. I mean, I've read the whole series. You don't have anything you want to give away? I mean, predict. Oh. <laughs> all right. So this is all you, baby. Oh, damn. I guess I, I can't put it off any longer then. Okay. So I really only have two predictions at this point. One positive, one negative. And these are my barometers to see what kind. One of them is going to probably come true. One of them probably won't come true. It'll give me an idea of what kind of story I'm reading here. So the first is that I think Will the Will does manage to come back and rescue the girl somehow. Two, I think Marco and Alana are going to die. Okay. Those are the only two predictions I could come up with at this point. One of the things I like about this story is what you said there in the beginning, that we have some cool mystery type stuff developing, but it's not getting out of hand. It's not like lost where it's like, Mm -hmm. here's something weird with no explanation. Oh, here's another weird thing with no explanation. So far, everything sort of serves the story to this point, which is, is good uh, because it's like you said, it's not frustrating, but it also doesn't leave me with a ton of evidence that I can really draw from to start making wild, crazy predictions yet. So let's see what happens in trade paperback number two. Yeah, I think that's a good observation. And I think my favorite thing about this series is it does throw a lot of characters at you and a lot of strange characters at you. Every single one is grounded in with some very relatable human feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. So you can really relate to each of them. And it just it just makes the story so so poignant and so interesting so i I just love this series i i'm really sad that they're i think they're gonna be taking a break so it sounds like um, yeah for a couple of years but i'm excited that it's not going to be a rushed finish um there are eight trade paperbacks out so far is that what it is i believe so okay i believe so you know why the last man has one of the best endings never read it you didn't read the end? No, we um so when so similar to this one when we started reading Why the Last Man, there were eight trade paperbacks out. Just like there are eight of of Saga, there ended up being 10 Why the Last Man's. So, we started reading it and then the ninth one came out. We got the ninth one. We had to wait for the 10th one to come out. I eventually I think ordered it for you and then never saw it again. I just never read it. Well, it's one of the best endings that I've ever seen in any story, in any medium, in my opinion, for me. So I wouldn't want Brian K. Vaughn to rush through the end of this. There's a lot of threads going on. And I think it's going to be, however he ends it, will I'm sure will end up being very well done. Now I want to read Why the Last Man Again. Dude, you have to read that. Do we have them? Uh. I feel like I feel like I read it digitally. I think you're right. I think we. I think it might we be right. We should get it. Okay. Comic book store. Here we come. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Nope. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night.
After killing a blue blood robot from landfall, the landfall. After killing a blue blood. After killing a blue blood robot from landfall. Yeah, you know correct. the wreath are magic users, and the landfallens. Landfalian. And the land. The. Those from wreath are magic users. Want them all dead, including the baby, and the wreaths. The folks from Wreath want to protect the baby. Prince Robot 4 finds out that Prince Prince Robot 4 finds out that his robot princess is pregnant, giving him even more reason to want to leave Queeve. Prince Robot 4 finds out that his robot princess is pregnant, giving him even more reason to want to queef his way off this planet. I said it right that time. <laughs> it's funny because cleave sounds like queef. It does. It's hard. If you're us. <laughs> 